0: Guys, thanks for listening to this episode. We really appreciate all of the support and staying alongside the audio to now visual component of Beans Without Boundaries Uh, going forward with the second season. We do have like a little bit of increase of cost, so we set up a little donation thing through Buy Me a Coffee. It's a little website that if you're willing to just splurge, there's an option for being able to just buy me a coffee. It also gives me a good idea if you really are enjoying our content and would like to help support and continue it. The link will be in the description underneath the YouTube video. It's also gonna be in the description for Apple Podcasts and um, Spotify Podcasts as well. Uh, Whichever platform uh, would be greatly appreciated to just continue following along the journey and whatever you're willing to just kind of help with feedback, whether it's comments on the videos or just going on social media. Um, And if you're feeling typically generous, it'd be great to just throw a coffee my way. Thanks for listening in and uh, until next time. Well, hi, welcome to the show. I love the moody lighting you have.
1: I was just gonna ask, like, is it okay? Like, I'm whatever so tired, you're comfortable with. No,
0: you're good. Okay. I mean, like, I'm also tired, and this is a, a doom basement, basically. Um,
1: Interesting. I love the the complete and utter lack of anything else <laughs> in the background.
0: <laughs> if it makes you feel better, these are curtains. These aren't okay. even literally oh, okay. like okay. the wall. It's okay, I think I for heard. sound reduction. Well, one of my really good friends, their name is Laurel. So it's like, keep beating really cool flowery botanist kind of names. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, welcome. I am glad to have you on the show.
1: Yes, I'm, I'm really happy that you asked me um, to chat with you. That was like super nice and unexpected. I think you also uh, chatted with my friend Alex, right? Uh, oh my God,
0: everybody knows them. It's great.
1: Yes, yes, that's so true. Um, that's such a just correct statement about, like, Alex's impact, period.
0: Yeah, honestly, I really fuck with her attitude and her whole, like, agenda with what she's been wanting to create
1: for the space in New York. Yeah, Alex is one of the most unapologetically, Mm -hmm. um, unabashedly, like, I don't know, just themselves people that I have ever had the pleasure of knowing, and it's, it's made me feel more like safe to be unapologetically and unabashedly myself but also like it makes me feel so Alex is also just like a really amazing friend so to be loved by someone who is so like purposeful and like straightforward and like every single thing that they do like yeah it's a really good feeling
0: well it's good to know that there's like representation and a good powerful voice creating a good community with a lot of the people that I keep bringing on the show. So I keep seemingly, like, finding my way in this circle that uh, everybody's creating over on the East Coast. And I'm like, hmm.
1: Oh, yeah. Where are you located? Where are you based out of? Ohio. Oh, okay. I've uh, been to Ohio once recently. Um, We drove through it on our way to and from Louisville um, for, like, Coffee Fest. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, and we stopped in Columbus. We went to the parable.
0: Wow. I'm mm-hmm. literally based in Columbus, so that's funny. Have you
1: you could have met me at parable? one point in time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I would, um,
1: that's I would uh, recommend everybody go there, and i that's the only thing I know about Columbus or Ohio. We literally just stopped, only stopped in that state to go to a coffee shop. Otherwise, we could have just kept going.
0: That's... Interesting. Like of all the cities, you chose Columbus, or was that just out of convenience?
1: I really, really, really wanted to go to that coffee shop specifically.
0: What's that What's pers- your uh, connection to Parable?
1: Um, one of the people who opened up the Parable, Jeffrey Clark, was in my cohort uh, in Glittercat. Oh, in cool! The Glittercat digitician. We did the first iteration of it, and we were both in the barista cohort. Um, so everyone who's in the barista cohort, like, I have long, it's crazy, everyone's, like, I'm still close with, but I I have long-lasting close relationships Mm -hmm. with. Um, so, yeah, that was really special to me. And, like, also, if you just even follow, like, them on social media, like, everything they do is crazy and amazing. Yeah. I wanted, like, a big old, like, stuffed croissant and, like, a crazy, like, amazing miso caramel latte and, like, you know, just, like... Just all the
0: goodness. Well, I'm glad you had a good, positive experience driving through. Um,
1: Yeah. Columbus is a thumbs up for me.
0: I'm glad. Um, But I wanted to bring you on the show because I feel like you have a lot of, like, stories to tell. I didn't even know you were part of Glitter Cat at one point. So I felt like I've had... um, We've had another person that was a that came on the show, too. Firecracker over personality. I cannot wait for that episode to come out. Um, But, like, I think it's a rare opportunity for me to have more one-on-one conversations with more of the front of the house people than the back of the house because that's a lot of what the the whole, like, genre of this podcast started off as. So I was curious on your journey to get to this point of – did you originally want to start in the coffee world? Did you work your way up in a different way to get where you're at now? Kind of, like, explain a little bit more about yourself.
1: Yeah, well, um, I wear a lot of different hats in the coffee industry, as like a lot of us do, I, I know. Um, so talking about, like, how it happened and also what it is is also is just, like, so funny sometimes because um, – Yeah, most of my coffee industry experience is, like, front of house. is like, service. Mm -hmm. Um, But now I also have gotten more into, in the past few years, the competition side of coffee industry, the mentorship side of coffee industry, like, the education, like, freelancing, um, all of that, like, fun stuff Mm -hmm. that, you know, you have, like, the ability to try out in an industry like this and kind of see where your niche is. But so I got my first barista job when I was 17, um, so like 10 years ago now, and I was at Starbucks, and um, I just, it was just, you know, like a job, and unfortunately, it was like kind of a nightmarish experience. Um, because, yeah, you, you started know, the,
0: I was going to say, uh, <laughs> you and I kind of started around the same time with the Starbucks. Were you for mm-hmm. the post um, Frappuccino War era, like with the unicorn Frappuccino yeah. shit?
1: i was i was pre same though no no no, no i was, I, was I and then i, I experienced it too later after yeah like when when they had like i remember they had those store-to-store competitions yeah about like oh frappy hour that's what it yeah. was and like oh my goodness wow it's all it's all being the uh, nightmares dredged up yeah but so i just had like unfortunate like labor issues as many people who work at Starbucks seem to experience. Yeah. And um I ended up getting fired uh because my availability changed and so I was trying to get like the next just the quickest job that I could possibly get. And I was like, okay, what do I have like experience in now? Coffee. So it happened to be like at a specialty coffee shop that I was able to get a job at um, and this was when I was eighteen. I was like in college already, um, I had just moved out on my own. So I was just, you know, I was looking for a job to have and to, you know, work full time, sort of provide for myself. And I just found that like this whole world of specialty coffee and everything that it takes to kind of like all the things that go into being a knowledgeable specialty coffee professional, or just even like a a professional who works in the industry full time, like, learning all those niches, I found that I was good at it and that it came sort of naturally to me and that, um, it also interested me, which I hadn't experienced much in my life before that. I had like a lot of trouble in school growing up, um, being like undiagnosed with autism and like just not learning like everybody else learned and kind of nobody having any idea why, or like why I didn't enjoy school or like why I just couldn't like function in that sort of structure. Um, I spent most of my, like, teenage and formative years feeling like I would never really be good at anything. Mm-hmm. Like, success and and aptitude just wasn't for me. I was just, like, a person who, who like, was below average and, needed, and, you know, and struggled. But then I realized that, you know, I just hadn't been given the tools that I needed or found anything that, you know, I could relate to well enough or find enough interest in to really be good at. So finding... Something that I was able to excel in, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: especially like being self-taught and still being able to excel. It um, sort of really opened up my ideas about myself and kind of introduced like self-confidence and professional confidence to me for the first time. And so it definitely became like an immediate special interest and probably like my longest special interest to date. Um, So, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time Being a barista, because I have a natural curiosity and I also like to, you know, like meet people who have the same interests as me and I feel really, like, determined to create community, Um, I would go out of my way to go into, like, New York, because I live in New Jersey, Mm -hmm. Um, I always have, but I would, you know, go into the New York specialty coffee scene to try and, like, make new connections and see what else was out there and, Um, I ended up being like pushed by some of my mentors to like compete in uh, U.S. barista champs prelims. And, you know, through that, I met different people who like introduced me to different sectors of the industry. So I bounced around in Jersey for a while, um, looking for a shop that like, I felt really comfortable at. And I think it's hard for autistic people to find jobs where they feel like they're set up for success Mm -hmm. and to feel like where their their personhood is taken into account as opposed to just being like you know some labor machine that can help you um take advantage of capitalism or not right and i've you know that's been probably the biggest struggle in finding like where are the right places for, you know, me to work and for me to thrive in and that will, like, invest in my development and also will, like, understand my limitations and not expect me to, like, pull 12-hour shifts, you know, every day or, like, three days a week and then eight-hour shifts the other two days a week because, you know, they're a mom-and-pop shop and, you know, they will work for free and sort of expect you to as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I just always had a drive for like more to find more opportunity for myself I started doing like um contracting gigs at coffee trade shows like coffee fest for like companies that needed help working their booth or things like that and I started attending um latte art throwdowns in the city because they go on on like a monthly basis and it's its own community as well um and I started you know dabbling and competing um mm-hmm. in U.S. coffee champs and just being more involved and Because of that, like, I met my husband, who um, works in, like, the green side of coffee as Mm -hmm. well. So opening up, like, a whole new door for me. Yeah. I met, like, some of my best friends who are, like, Latte Art champions and, like, who have pushed me to see that as a real discipline um, as well. And to put, like, some heart and soul into that. And I have also become really close with other like, people, like, coffee community members who volunteer to make U.S. coffee champs run and, you know, who are really um, interested in making sure that the U.S. specialty coffee scene um, evolves, you know, and that yeah. it has our voice and that, yeah, I just, like, I just met so many different types of people who were into so many different things and just the way that I am, I'm kind of like, oh, I want to try all of it. So now I... Um, I'm a manager at Coffee Project, uh, which I don't know if you know them, but New York-based coffee company, um, roaster, uh, specialty coffee association, premier academy, like wholesaler uh, competitors, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and yeah, I feel challenged, but also give like given the resources to take my career further there. So mm-hmm. doing that kind of pushing myself to work for like a company where there were people there that I like really respected. Yeah. Um, really like wanted to live up to sort of the, the things that they do as well. Like seeing, you know, these people's names all the time in U S coffee champs and wanting to push myself to do things like that. Um, that opened up a lot of doors of possibility for me as well. And, uh, you know, I also volunteer with get you some gear, um, Mm -hmm. which like, working in the mutual aid industry, like end of the coffee industry is much more um, like a natural sort of extension of my personhood, you know, Yeah. Uh, rather than just having like a, a job in something that you love to be doing mutual aid in something that you love. Like I've always had a very community focused mindset. I think probably because I like needed so much yeah. assistance from like, you know, my community and I really needed a community growing up and like, I'm a very, I think I'm a great example of, like, what what community support can achieve. Because without the help of other people and without, like, other people to show me that I did belong here, like, I never would have achieved everything that I, you know, feel like I have now achieved. Yeah. So it's really rewarding for me to, like, be in that sector of the industry as well and just, like, actually work one-on-one with giving coffee professionals more access, mm-hmm. um, which was why, you know doing glitter cat was also awesome for me and yeah that's just, just like a little overview of all the, all yeah. the apps. <sighs> how
0: was your experience with glitter cat
1: well it like was what definitely was it like unique because it was like the first online iteration of glitter cat mm-hmm. um and i remember like it was really early pandemic everybody was like in the house in the house um even like those of us who were employed, like there was no, unless you were, you know, frontline worker, there was no in-person work at that time. Um, And I don't know if it was like that everywhere in the country, but it was like that, you know, up where I was like in the New York Metro area, everything's just closed down for a really long time. Um, And so we really needed something to do. And I think like Glitter Cat was something at that point that I had an awareness of. I had seen, like, boot camp applications come out, but I was at a point in my coffee career where it was not something that I would do for myself yet. Yeah. You know, like, where I would kind of make up reasons, like, to, when really I just didn't feel ready to take the leap, but, like, oh, like, real things. Like, you know, I have a job. I can't just take a week off. Like, oh, I don't even, you know, plan to compete anytime soon or know if I ever want to compete, so, like, why would I take this? I just, like, wasn't ready to take that leap. And then pandemic came around, and when they announced the digitition um i kind of thought to myself like okay look how much life has changed like if i don't do this now who knows if i'll ever get an opportunity to be a part of something like this again and it was really really intense um the actual experience of competing in the digitition because like we got sent like espresso machines we got sent grinders we got Whoa. sent like yeah i mean we got sent all we had to send all that stuff back but like we had to build a cafe in our house like we had yeah. to really That's intensively crazy. for a week yeah like commit to this competition and it showed me how much i could do to be honest it showed me how much i could figure out it showed me how proficient i could be in like you know taking something on by fly like that mm-hmm. like I can picture my, my performance video right now and I was literally just like in my kitchen and I created a whole backdrop and I got someone to film for me. And That's crazy. Like, yeah, it was, It was. I'm really proud of it, to be honest. Even now to this day, when I see people competing in US coffee champs, like in barista champs, I'm like, wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of work. Like, I can't even imagine being up on that stage anymore, like having that routine. But at one point I was willing to do that in my own home. And it was, it was a tough experience. I definitely, um, I experienced that same sort of emotional, like, thrill of like, okay, like, what am I going to place, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I want to, you know, I want to get such and such place, like, and the sort of like, the thrill of just waiting for that, those scores to be announced, like, the feeling of reading your score sheets, like, The disappointment, I remember, like, I went over time, and it was the difference me getting, like, you know, such and such, like, I think it was, like, first and third, and I had to, like, have that moment with myself where I'm, like, okay, like, in the future, if you want to be a competitor, like, take what you've learned from this, you know, the disappointment of, like, up your score like that, but then, like, the pride of just having enough, you know, content in the first place that you didn't want to stop your routine, all of those emotional highs and lows. It was such a, like, it was such a thrilling feeling. I don't know. I feel like I got so much out of that experience, despite the fact, or not despite the fact, but, you know, just even knowing that it wasn't an experience we all got to share in real life. Um, and like I said before, I'm still so close with like all those people so I I, yeah it was a really valuable experience to me and then all the mentorship and just the camaraderie that even the seasons of Glitter Cat after that like just knowing like meeting someone for the first time and being like oh we were both you know a part of this thing the instant camaraderie the lifelong connections that it affords you yeah it also so valuable to me
0: Yeah, I could see that, Um, especially during a time where that social isolation was so big in the beginning of COVID. It's like everyone was so repellent of everybody else. So it's like when you were able to finally have that social inner circle, probably like had a lot of those similar struggles experiencing the same kind of competitiveness, too. I feel Mm -hmm. like that would just automatically kind of like create a really good bond.
1: Yes. And I know like I mean I'm a really competitive person um, same I yeah, I found that out about myself. um I'd like to say that I'm not, but especially like once i I'm good at something, I'm really fucking competitive um, I'm a good loser, don't get me wrong if i if I find myself I'm glad you losing, are because I'm not <laughs> yeah, I mean not with my the one person that I'm comfortable being a sore loser towards is my husband because <laughs> he, he gets it, you know, yeah but that actually, that comes up a lot because we we have to compete a fair amount in Lafayette.
0: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I've never personally participated in any throwdowns or any of the competitive side of being a barista. I kind of like really enjoyed the the kind of like routine numbness that came from being a barista. It was really second nature after a while of just doing it. So I could just kind of like my my ADHD is like cool there's so many shit things going on I can just focus and plug out um I also never thought I was good enough to do competitive like latte art like that I've always like that's a
1: big part of it right like we we limit ourselves um by setting these standards that like we can't even try unless we deem ourselves to be this good
0: I've had a lot of run-in with specific personality types that hasn't (laughs) really made it made me want to kind of involve myself with that part of the community. Um, Which is why I kind of retracted for a really long time after being a barista to just doing more production because I got really burnt out with a lot of the highs and lows that came from uh, working as a barista and working like lead roles. And then a lot of the personality types being so drastically different or really like clicky. Mm-hmm. um
1: Yeah. So Creakiness I was. Is, is a big one. Is a big one. And also, like, the. Yeah, I would love to touch on that actually. Yeah, no, go for I it. I was
0: about to ask you I'm like, do you have any, like, run ins with your experience having a lot of issues with, like, personality types or, like, a lot of people accepting you? Because I know that you had just briefly talked about, like, being autistic um, or on the spectrum and, um, or, like, with your identity, like I know that queer identities don't always kind of like coexist Mm -hmm. completely well. And a lot of things can get thrown in the mix. And like when you're constantly surrounded by that environment as a barista, it becomes a little bit claustrophobic and it it gets a little bit like, like tightening on strings and the tension can get a little bit rough, especially during like peak work hours. So that's what I was going to ask. So the fact that you're kind of like on the, on the gun, we're on the same, (laughs) go for it.
1: Um, well, I've definitely, that's been one of my lifelong struggles is like matching other people's personalities or or getting along with others, which is not to say that I'm not friendly because I am, I try to be, I like people, you know? Um, But I do find that often what I like to call my autistic swag um, does not sit (laughs) right necessarily with uh, everybody else. Like I communicate differently and I'm very blunt and I'm very interested and having conversation that matters when I see an issue or when I see something that I think is, should be talked about, should be communicated about, um, I'm going for it. Yeah. And I, I find that, so I was also very hesitant for a long time to get into the latte community. Yeah. because I experienced it as quite a boys club. Um, and I actually like, so in spite of that, I would show up. Yeah. Um, well, good for and, you well, thank you. It was, I was not always like that to where, you know, I was willing to be in a space and, you know, be alone and just be like comfortable by myself. But now I am, you know, I I kind of have the idea ever, especially like ever since I stopped drinking almost three years ago, I realized like if I'm fun sober, like if I don't have to drink to have fun or to be fun for other people, like, oh, I might just like be fun for other people. (laughs) So like, That gave me the confidence to put myself in social situations that made me uncomfortable because if I already had forgone like a crutch like that, then I knew I kind of had, you know, the upper hand over my anxiety than other people might be having. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I put myself in those situations and I, I struggled and still kind of struggle to this day with, you know, Latair is a huge boys club. Um, and I've had, I've had discourse with a lot of the law care community over, you know, what I I feel to be like regressive treatment and like regressive sort of a regressive attitude in a space in the coffee industry that I think, you know, should celebrate so many more people than it does. And I actually have like a big conflict um, and controversy uh, because I, I and one of my good friends, Maxie um, spoke out, against can i just um, say
0: maxi was on the show too
1: yeah i love Ma- I that. i thought that maxi was also on the show <sighs> this, this
0: never ending compilation funny. of so many people from the east coast being so tight-knit oh my god maxi was a Maxie's, that's a firecracker personality i was like i oh, fuck hard yes, yes, with maxi's yes, personality so that's um, great
1: Maxie is one of my best friends. Uh, I love her so much. I Oh, yes. My, can you see my cat? I can see her. Yes. She's being naughty. Um, yeah, I love Maxie so much. You know, she was at my wedding. She has been there for me through so much, like, highs and lows, good and bad. Like, Maxie's probably one of the first people that I, I call when, you know, something big is happening to me or I just need someone, you know, to tell something like that's wild. I also think that Maxie and I became close um, in because of Instagram and during the pandemic. And yeah, I don't know my life without Maxie in it. I can't even, I don't want to imagine it. Oh, yeah, I have so much love for that girl, anyways. And also Maxie is I. One more thing. Yeah, I, yeah say, no,
0: I just figured I was like, oh, I could see you going on a whole trail and we'll probably get off topic. I just don't want us Maxi to get too far off the wheel.
1: It's just I want to say like one of the people who I think the industry should be like giving flowers to so much more than they are. So I just like real, real shout outs to Maxie. Um, but oh, and back on, like, the Latte Art, you know, community being a boys club, like, Maxi is the biggest reason that I stayed in that scene was because there was someone else there who I saw was trying to do the same thing that I was trying to do, which was be me and succeed. And me is, like, not all these other boys, essentially. Um, So, be someone completely different and succeed. And yeah, like, that empowered me and kept me going to really, like, I don't know. I'm here whether they like it or not. Yeah. And I only have the, you know, best intentions and, and really the best interest in mind of the community because the community is not all men. It's, it's really not. And there's, it would be so much more visibly not men if people just felt comfortable, um, you know, I've spoken out about, like, sexual harassment that goes on. I've spoken out about boys' club-ism that goes on, about, like, the misogyny in these spaces, about how before I was with my husband, like, there were men who I would see every month at these throwdowns who wouldn't say a word to me or introduce themselves or just be, you know, kind. And then when I got together with my husband, like, all of a sudden they would talk to me and introduce themselves to me as if I didn't know who they were for such a long time. Yeah, and it's... I, and I would say that to them as well. So I, as you should, not always the yeah, I was not always like the most popular for it. But I've always been the kind of person that I'm like, okay, like if no one's gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you, right? Because I've got the time essentially, and, and I'm, <laughs> I'm game for the conflict. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that I see now, especially ever since we spoke on all on our views about the coffee fest latte art scene, Mm -hmm. Um, you know. And that was was a really, I want to say, formative conflict for me, even though it was kind of fairly recent, because I learned so much from just speaking my mind about something that I, I happened to notice. I learned so much from people who were, like, willing to have genuine conversation with me. I learned so much from people who assumed immediately that they knew what I meant and therefore started treating me a certain way. I learned so much from people who were, you know, like genuinely just trying to clarify certain things. Like I was, not—you, it was not that I was correct from, you know, my very first assumption um, about how the scene treats, you know, non-men, treats people of color, about, you know, who has more opportunity. I mean, I was, I was, that was not wrong. Right. But some of the things that, you know, I didn't understand or I thought uh, were a completely different way than they are, I had people able to, you know, speak to me and teach me something as well about why it takes, you know, some people so long to come up in the scene and why others sort of immediately take off. Um, and I learned, you know, that there's like, there's, there was room for my view to improve as well. Um, and I'm, I'm always down for those, those teachable moments. I don't shy away from them. Like, I don't think that I was born knowing everything and I'm still, you know, I'm still a young person in this industry. And so I understand that, you know, there are social dynamics, there are like industry, like historical events that like I I wasn't around for and I wasn't privy to, and I'm always happy to learn. Um, but yeah, I I consider that situation to be so so valuable, even though I think for a lot of people, it really soured their impression of me that I would kind of accuse men of being men or like accuse, you know, this, uh, society of favoring them. (laughs) Um, and that's fine because then I know, you know, who I kind of essentially have to look out for it to see like if they are perpetuating these things or not. Um, but I also really think that since we spoke up about that, I have seen, at least in the New York Lather, it's scene, so many more non men feel comfortable to come out. That's and great though. Out. Yeah. It's been really visible. It's been really, really visible and like I'm just I fuck with it, you know, that's what I wanna see. Like I yeah. don't want people to just be especially I don't want like young non-men to just be like standing around like scared that no one is going to talk to them and like scared that they're never going to get better because the first time that you compete in latte art you almost always suck because no matter how good you are at latte art like the nerves that you're trying to overcome to perform in like a sudden death style showdown in front of a bunch of people like that's that's a whole new skill in and of itself that you only achieve by showing up so people are already discouraged off the bat and to be able to see, like, more people that are not men, like, overcome that discouraged failing and just keep coming back and coming back. Like, that's all I want to see. I don't, I don't, I just want pe- them, for that people, for them to be able to do that, you know? They so, don't have to like me. They don't have to want me there. They just, I just, I want that, you know, that yeah. diverse community.
0: So, what would your advice be for the people who do show up but they're too anxious to continue you know what i mean like they could show up and be like okay i'm gonna put myself outside of my comfort zone and show up and they're like oh yeah i just don't see how i can fit
1: well my thought has always been like what's the worst that can happen um and the worst that can happen is kind of that you lose and that nobody talks to you right but i have (laughs) i have gone so many times to a latte art throwdown where, A, nobody talks to me, and B, I also lost. <laughs> and it sucked at first, or I don't know, it didn't even really suck that bad. Like, the alternative is just kind of staying home or doing whatever else. But, like, A, you will make a friend. You There will be someone there who you will connect with, especially if you see them over and over again, because the coffee industry is full of great people. Um, and B, you will eventually win. It's just a numbers game, you know, like, you're not always going to be the new person that shows up. And if you can just take, you know, a few losses in both areas here and there, eventually, you'll start seeing like, oh, I know more people now I do a little better now. Um, Just don't give up, because we need you there. And chances are, someone else especially if you know if you're a non-man and you're showing up consistently to to these events someone else is that is also not a man notices trust me and they're happy that you're there and also maybe go talk to them
0: <laughs> bond um yes so having traversed a lot of the barista world and doing a lot of competitive stuff i know that you'd briefly mention how you're doing education now where, where is this trajectory leading you? Like, where, where at this point, like, now that you have a lot of different experiences, what's the realm that you're, like, finding yourself a lot more like? Yeah, I want to stay here.
1: Well, I haven't gotten to any place that I want to stay yet. I want to keep making new experiences and keep kind of dabbling in, in many things. Um, taking a serious long-term management position, which is, like, what I'm doing right now, is new to me. Um, wanting to, you know, be so reliable and responsible and like committed essentially to like one shop, one location that takes a lot, you know, and it's only because like I have an incredible team of staff. Um, I feel so like blessed because I, I work. So the coffee shop that I manage is in the LGBTQ center of Manhattan, And so I also get to work amongst my community all day. That's fucking Um, amazing. It really is. It really, really is. Um, You know, it's a non-profit, so obviously it has its own issues and politics and whatnot. But I can't stress enough just, like, how valuable the experience of, like, just being around gay people all day is. Like, to (laughs) another gay person. Like, just to, like... I don't know. I had to put, to work in a shop, you know, in, like, heteronormative society, like, people would assume that, you know, I'm, like, she, her, a girl, or that, like, I'm straight, or, like, people would just assume that upon seeing me, unless, like, you know, you know, you know, and you know, like, you can peep that I have green hair and pronouns just from seeing me, but chances are that's, like, you know, only one in every ten people. Yeah. So, being in a place where the norm is is non-heteronormative... Yeah it's allowed me to just be a different version of myself as a professional. Um, And, you know, we see a lot of like the most vulnerable members of our community because we're just an open space, Mm -hmm. like for unhoused people, for people seeking services, for people um, who are going to groups, who are in recovery, who, yeah, all we, we see very vulnerable members of the community and like getting to just be there for them as well you know and to really like witness people and to provide a customer it's it can be a lot of emotional labor I'm not gonna lie and you definitely have to sign up for it yeah um or be aware that you're doing that but I find it very fulfilling to have interactions with people that are not just like a customer service facade and to actually like get to care for my community um so yeah being you know and also like my staff is just so sweet. I love them all. but Just like Gen Z fucking queer people. And like I'm 27. So of course they think I'm 50 years old. But like.
0: You, know, you and I are literally the same age. And I feel like I'm 15 years, 50 years old, to be honest. Right?
1: Uh, the young, the youngins are making me feel old now.
0: I don't um, even care about the lingo. It's the fact that I'm like, man, when I was their age, it, it comes out now. I'm like, man, when I was that age, literally, man, when yeah, that was, was the like, biggest thing that was going on in my life. Yeah, it's funny how shit's like, changed. oh my
1: God, to two of my coworkers, I was like, you literally don't even remember 9 11. And they're like, you yeah, know. I was like, that's crazy. Like, I grew up during that, yeah. Yeah, uh, like I was cognizant. Like we all know where we were, you know? Yeah, that's wild. Like, whatever. It is wild. And then I have a coworker who's like 24 or 25, and my 20 year old and my 21 year old coworker, like, both compared that co-worker to like a Larry David and I'm like okay what am I fucking dead because like I'm
0: older than them you're a walking ghost for these people
1: literally yes
0: I will say that I think that like um working in a really non-heteronormative atmosphere there's so much um, nuance and like <sighs> cognitive behaviors and like there's a word that I can't think of right now but it's like the social aspect of Things not needing to be communicated nonverbal, Mm -hmm. where it's just like that's gotta feel so comforting.
1: Yes. There's like, there's, go
0: ahead. I was gonna say, there's just this, there's a break of this like sad reality that comes from living a very heteronormative lifestyle that there's like, it affects how we communicate with people, especially people Mm -hmm. who are very queer identifying and very vocal with their opinions and political stances it's it's something that's really hard to like go about life and have to stifle all the time versus like being in a space where none of that kind of exists it's just like free fall and it's just um thrown into the wind and as chaotic as that can be it can also be extremely emotionally nurturing and affirming um but yes the queer community has its faults and it has its positives
1: yes definitely there is you know drawbacks to every community has its weaknesses yeah But as opposed to like, I find, I think a lot of us who have worked in the coffee industry for a long time and also are queer, have found that it's a place where queer identities often get like appropriated or they get taken advantage of, but not often celebrated because we're, we're drawn to this industry. Um, There's, you know, so many queer people in the coffee community, but maybe the ownership of their shop, you know, are just like, are not. Or are not queer friendly or are just kind of are capitalizing on that, um, you know, on that image. So, yeah. to speak, the image of their baristas. But they're not really there for their baristas. They're not, you yeah, know. Yeah, that's true. they to stand up for I've them. I've seen they're that time there. and time again. Exactly, yeah. So, to be in a place where I know that that is, like, truly celebrated, that, that definitely means a lot to me. Um, so, that's, that's kind of the reason why... I, you know, wanted to take a management role there is because I wanted to, like, be a leader in that community and be someone who could be relied on um, in that community and, and for my baristas. But honestly, I see myself getting more into um, into the green side of coffee.
0: Come over um, to the dark side. Yes.
1: <laughs> well, I know that, you know, that's kind of where, you're, where the focus in this podcast has been with people
0: mm-hmm. who are,
1: on the green side of the industry and i'm definitely i was gonna
0: say if you're interested uh not to self-promote but i'm (laughs) self-promoting please um this podcast highlights a lot of shit i'm not gonna lie like i've learned a lot like i've only i've said this throughout so many of my episodes and i don't know if you've actually listened to them or not but um
1: i haven't yet that's fine i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna have to listen to at least two of them
0: I was going to say, at least a, when Maxie's and Alex's come, like Alex's was the second yes. episode. It was a great way to kick off the show. But Maxie's is going to be, woo, it's a conglomerate oh, of so wait. much chaos. It's such a, a representation of that energy. Um, But yes, no, this, when I started this journey of this podcast versus where I'm at now, the way that I've accounted so much information that I think that I would have never been able to do because like what sucks about my position where I stand? Wow, what's wrong with my voice? <clears throat> from the position where I stand is like the Midwest has a very closeted gate kept um, roasting community, like a lot of the production industry here isn't as open and willing from the experiences I've had being a person of color and being queer um it's very male, white cisgender uh predominant, and it's been Shocking. really it's been really hard for me to. Create community. It's been really hard for me to uh, feel comfortable to do that, also. Um, and with my personality type, I'm just the most easily lovable person on the planet. But
1: I mean, I think that we would get along really well. But I'm yeah, I mean, like, better, honestly, right? if you get
0: along with Maxie, I, I yeah. fucked hard with Maxie and I fucked hard with Alex. Like, yeah,
1: I think in well, general,
0: I'm living on the wrong side of the fucking country. But
1: I agree. I think <laughs> you have to come to the East Coast. <laughs> yeah, you and me both.
0: Um, but Yeah, I just, I had a really hard time acclimating myself into the industry. I exposed myself through going to an SCA uh, retreat. That opened my eyes to a whole lot of other things. And that's how this kind of created the umbrella of this entire podcast. And then um, this has been the only way I can learn about the industry, really. Because there's really no outweigh outside of like going on like Sprudge or daily, like the daily coffee news. So, like, this has been a lot of like my absorption of like how to learn about the industry, especially from the coffee production aspect. And I've been grateful to meet amazing people along the way. And a lot of these. Women and and people of color and, and queer folk that have been on the show have been so transparent and raw about a lot of their experiences, which I appreciate you also being on this and saying the same as well, that it's like I always I always feel like I have learned so much more shit underneath the covers of what my job is versus what my actual job entails. And that makes a lot of what I feel like my job is right now a lot more meaningful because I can apply a lot of the stuff that I've learned through these people to a lot of the work that I'm doing now. So I I have learned a lot of amazing things. I think the production industry is a interesting dynamic shift from being in a lot of the no, I'm not trying to be offensive, but like a lot of the showmanship that comes from being a like a barista. No,
1: you're right. I mean, it is front of house is is yeah, so customer centric and so appearance centric. Yeah. And it really is you have to you see certain types of people succeed right. easily and certain types of people struggle and are marginalized repeatedly. And you know, that's that's socio, that's like yeah, that's social dynamics, that's social hierarchy. Um and, you know, it can be, it can be a welcome challenge and for a while, you know, I, I have to thank that, that side of the industry for giving me people skills, you know, and yeah. for giving me hands-on experience, even though it was trial by fire. And it always has been yeah. for me being autistic and trying to be, uh, be a person with people, you know, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, but it has done a lot for me and especially has helped me deepen my empathy. Um. But I also feel a great, so in meeting my husband, who was born in a, in a coffee community, coffee growing community in Colombia, and who came to the States um, and really wished to continue to work in coffee and mm-hmm. to, like, um, bring his, you know, his family into his everyday life. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he imports, he imports coffee from his community um, back home in Nariño and for me also being Ecuadorian and going back earlier, you know, to my ancestral lands and like going with my father who immigrated here when he was much younger and also going to coffee growing regions in Ecuador and meeting coffee people in Ecuador and creating like a bond. Um, I was really, really fortunate actually to make... An incredible you know friend with uh Juan Pablo who is one of the co-founders of Coffee Relief in Ecuador which like they won um Spudgy for like best build out in 2022 and then best new cafe in 2023 or like 2020 like two consecutive years yeah and to like meet them and be like oh wow like you know I'm so proud of my Ecuadorian heritage um and it, it means a lot to me also in how I how I view the world and, and the things that I hold important to me, yeah. like how, you know, we should treat the earth, how, you know, we should treat our people, like what kind of community support we should give our, you know, our community and, and, the, yeah. the, and the countries should give their people. And just like Ecuadorians are really like, we have this quality of just like lovingness, like we could call it cariñoso, which is just like really just, a deep love, a deep love, yeah. and affection for like your fellow person, um, and to get to non- Arabs only, have know, a being, lot of
0: that same quality. By the yeah.
1: way, right? Well, my my mom is actually Syrian. So okay, yeah. <laughs> so I'm Syrian Jewish. Bro, that's
0: Ecuadorian. wild.
1: Yeah, there's so a, much going on. There's a lot. There's a lot, and so like both of these reasons and like both of these aspects of my heritage, like. When I say that people are the most important thing to me, like, I yeah. mean it. Um, you know, being someone from like a Syrian Jewish background, like I have seen my people like marginalized and yeah. I have seen them, you know, face such atrocities and I have seen like conflict and struggle. Right. And then also being South American, yeah. in one of the three poorest countries in South America where right. the U.S. would love to be meddling. Um, where also, you know, big oil companies love to come in and, and, you know, infringe on indigenous lands, drill right. in the Amazon, like deforest, like ruin, you know, kill the Galapagos, kill some of our biodiversity, like these things, they, they mean so much to me that no matter what I would have ended up doing in life, the ancestral call to just care about all of these things will always come to the front. Ugh. Um yeah, I can I can tell that you you know where I'm coming from.
0: Yeah. And so, I yeah, when I mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> when I um when I got to experience that firsthand, you know, and I I went, and I bonded with you know coffee people in Ecuador, and I saw how beautiful it was to be connected at origin, and then mm-hmm. also very shortly thereafter fell in love with someone who grew up on a coffee farm, you know, and his fondest memories are are growing alongside coffee, literally. And it's how he feels close to his family, like, while he's here and they're over there. Like, the green side of the industry is calling to me. And yeah. also to fucking leave America and go, you know, be with people who who understand me and who I can, you know, like, who I can actually get into community with. Mm. Uh-huh. Like, that, that desire is strong, too. Because we're all very polarized in America. Like, even the left is very polarized in America. It's hard to to get things done. It's hard to, like, get on the same page. It's hard to all be working towards the same community initiative. Um, I wonder what you're hinting at right now. I, I'm <laughs> hinting at a lot. I'm hinting at a lot. Oh, man. Um, I mean it, Here's
0: the thing, it, though. It, I will be totally transparent. Uh, there was an episode where there's a whole segment, We Talk Politics. So, like... That's why I'm like, I wonder what you're hinting at. Um,
1: Oh, okay, yeah, because I don't want to, I don't know, I don't want to, like, blow up your spot here. For Um, what? Well, I don't know. I don't know how, how, you know, controversial you are, you want me to get, because I can get really controversial. Well,
0: that's the whole purpose of this podcast. I didn't want people to be, like, nice and pretty. The beans are without
1: boundaries. The beans are without boundaries.
0: There shouldn't be boundaries, but,
1: Yeah. Yes, I I completely agree. Um, I find myself still trying to, you know, a a large part of, for me, becoming more acceptable and becoming more professional is learning, you know, when to be quiet because I've never had to push myself too hard to come out of my shell so (laughs) i
0: can relate to that
1: yeah so i felt i felt like my journey in becoming an adult was learning to draw it back a little more i will ask things are important
0: i will ask too like um uh are you like a first generation immigrant like were your parents like from the countries and then moved here
1: my father was born in ecuador and my mother was born here
0: okay so you still have like that sense on my father's side yeah i was gonna say i think that either way like Immigrant households, children from immigrant households, we all have the same fucking experiences.
1: Yes, very, very similar, at least for, for all of us, I think. I was
0: going to say, um, I, I fuck with a lot of the same vibes that I've met from a lot of Latinas and Latinos um, who are like children of immigrants because I'm like, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of the same kind of nuances that exist.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of like inheriting our parents' traumas
0: generational Um, trauma
1: yes and i you know as a jew experience pretty heavy generational trauma as well despite the fact that like my mother's side of the family has been here for two or three generations they were immediately displaced by world war ii um so it's been a little while but not that long
0: to go back to the original subject (laughs) yes let's Let's go back to the world of coffee that's way back yes that um I am very glad to hear your connections with and like the amount of intimacy that you have with it, touching down from your roots to the the person that you've chosen as your partner to how you choose to interact with it in daily life. I'm the
1: intimacy. I, I love that.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's what it is. I feel like especially with the way that you've been talking about things there's a sense of extreme intricacy and intimacy that exists in a lot of what you want to do for your life because that's what it means for you that's what you've been kind of like those ethics and morals have been put on you which is great because that that gives you a pathway and a trajectory to living a more fulfilling and satisfying life yes the new nu- completely the nuances in between are kind of like iffy and the ups and highs and the lows and the whatever are going to be there and like you'll meet people that'll test you but overall I feel Mm -hmm.
1: like oh I've met many (laughs) that like to test me
0: yeah I feel like um, what what part of the the coffee like green are you interested in are you
1: interested in importing
0: are you interested in roasting are you interested in quality are you interested in
1: I'm interested in supporting the growing coffee communities in um, coffee producing countries so economic development yeah, or human, like humanitarian effort, economic That's awesome. Yes. That's
0: something um, I've been recently interested in too. I had a, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's okay. Um, no, no,
1: no. Keep going.
0: But I had somebody on this episode. Her name is Ruth. She works for artists coffee imports. Great woman. She stands for a lot of great qualities and she's doing a lot of great things for um, the countries she's involved in. So essentially, she's creating these, um, these funding and like essentially giving it to the communities for a lot of what they've already built for themselves. So it's not like white savior complex where I need to fix everything. It's more like so what you're doing is work for your community, I'm going to reinforce that. And that really yeah. like kickstarted a lot of my interest with economic development. So it's like cool that you're also interested in doing that too.
1: Yes. Um I think that that is for a lot of people, uh, especially a lot of like people of color that is such a pillar of how we believe that our culture survives, right? Is, is that we do well for ourselves and then we put back into it. Um, and you can see that in like the sort, in the ways where like multi-generational households are a common thing where, you know, you're raised by someone and then at the end of their life, when they can't do it for themselves anymore, they come live with you because you've built the kind of life for yourself where you can accommodate for them and, and things like that. And, um, and even just, you know, the idea of so many people who come to America just to work for real work, really fucking hard for six months and send all that money back to their family, you know, or to anyone who, who needs it, where they come from because not everyone can come to America in the first place can, whether that journey can, you know, do that sort of hard work, um, just the work of immigrating and then the work of working nonstop for so long. Um, I find that, you know, when speaking to, other people of color from many backgrounds, not just Latinos, that, like, we all kind of have this idea of, like, do it for the culture, right? Do it for yeah. do it for the people. Um, my husband, you know, as, like, a coffee importer, one of the coffees that he imports from Aponte, um, it, like, all the proceeds go to rebuilding the indigenous Aponte community. Love that. Um, the reason that they even started selling this blend was because um, the indigenous community there, they're their village was all built into the side of a mountain and so because of you know just weather and earth and natural disaster their community began to essentially collapse yeah. um, and this is where these you know, these people they wanted to live this is where their ancestral home was yeah. you know this is uh, this is also where everything that they had was and so the coffee that they were growing directly went to rebuilding that community um and that's just like that's so that's so what I expect of my of my people you Mm -hmm. know like to be hardworking and driven and also crafty and resourceful as hell to know and be like hey like let's put that money right back in here yeah um and so I think that the countries that I would want like I don't See myself necessarily bouncing around um, to a different um, multitude of different coffee yeah. producing countries um, to sort of you know impart my, what I've learned and and my secrets and this and that. Like, no, it's more so that you know the country like Ecuador and mm-hmm. you know now now Colombia that my you know loved one and and his family are are also from. Like, that's where I feel like I can. I can go to come back home, you know, oh, where my pretty. future, yeah, well, like, it'll be, it's a home, you know, it's a home I love
0: when home. I'm like, that's oh, pretty, yeah. and you're like, yeah, well. <laughs> oh,
1: I do, I <laughs> it's, just, it's just what I think. Um, yeah, well, I guess it's true. I mean, you know, I guess it is poetic, like it is, it is sort of idealistic, but that's really how it feels is that this is, this is the home I'm working towards. Like I've never felt at home, you know, where I've been. I know that home is a place that I'm working to go. Um, and I think, I think a lot of children of immigrants feel that way. Our parents mm. were sold an American dream that didn't exist. We were sold, you know, we were sold, you know, the leftovers of that fantasy. But most of us have, you know, seen what our parents have gone through and yeah. what our communities have gone through enough to know that what is what is really worth working for is not what they were sold in the first place. And so I think yeah. a lot of a lot of us are reckoning with the fact that that our journey is to is to go back, is to bring it back.
0: I will also add on to that. I remember having this conversation with my mom, too, when I was growing up in America during 9-11. Uh, I remember <laughs> I'm like, 9/11, by the way. I did, because it affected me and my family. Um, yeah. But, like, I remember coming home all the time as a kid. I'm like, Mom, I fucking hate it here. Like, I don't want to live in America. Like, why'd you choose Ohio? Like, da da da, da. And she's just like, what do you mean, America? <laughs> Which
1: is such a valid question, by the way. Like, why did you choose
0: Ohio? There's no Iraqi community here, by the way. Like, That's it doesn't really it. exist in Ohio. And
1: So why did they choose
0: Ohio? Who fucking knows? I asked that question, and I don't even have an answer anymore. But, um... <laughs> I remember, and she would be like, what do you mean America's great? The way that that answer has changed in the last Mm -hmm. decade is wild. Like my mom was so driven on being so patriotic of being an American to the last five years um, it being just. We're over it now. She's like, if you can leave, leave. Like I don't want you here either. And it's just Mm -hmm. like. I also understand this constant disconnect from not feeling connected to a homeland that's not ours in the first place, but like it's not ours t- times two.
1: Yes. So, yeah, that, that's something that has definitely been like a, a lifelong identity struggle for Same. me. Like, like what am I? Am I an American? Because the Americans don't want me. Same. I, mean, I don't appreciate my worldview. Am I an Ecuadorian? Because I'm not Ecuadorian enough for these Ecuadorians. Um. Mm. It's, it's really, really tough, and I think that like, immig- like immigrant children culture is almost just a culture of its own. Yeah, it's almost a diaspora of its own,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I think that you know that's that's great in the term that it means that a whole generation of people who are more global thinking has been you know brought into creation. Yeah. But so sad that so many of our, like, empathetic hearts that, you know, have just years and years and years and generations of the same culture Mm -hmm. just nurturing it and feeding into it. You know, it's got to be programmed into our DNA. Now we're just, like, left without it. Yeah. You know, like, someone who lost their twin in the womb. Like, there's just a a part of us that is not accessible, that that we're chasing towards, that we're always chasing towards and trying to create our own individual cultural meaning to. I mean... You know, not to be like a, certainly not um, the biggest proponent of mixed kids have it harder or anything like that. But like, it is weird when you know both your cultures don't don't really know what to do with you or don't see you know the Latinos see me as more of an American Jew and then the Jews definitely don't see me as one of them. They they see a Latino and then the white people they don't know what they see. They don't, but they don't like it. You know? Oh my god! So it's just I'm just like what is, like what is what is going to be enough? Like if Spanish were my first language, but I still looked the way I looked and had a Jewish mother, like, would they, Would you guys accept me more? Or, like, if I was bat mitzvahed and I spoke Hebrew, would people stop questioning the validity of my Judaism? But at the end of the day, the answer is that I have found that when you assert who you are and you put yourself in those spaces and you, you know, say, I belong here, eventually people start to realize that, you know, someone who chooses you is your community. And there is retroactive acceptance in that way. Um, I have, you know, like, I, I, I definitely won't say the Latinos have rejected me. I mean, that is all of my, my close friends, mm-hmm. family, my, you know, my husband, my, I'm, I'm accepted by my community. But I feel the difference, you know, yeah. in myself. Um, and and do
0: you ever feel I, like sometimes it's just like a tolerance?
1: Sometimes I think I used to feel that way.
0: Maybe that's where that I'm at.
1: I think I think I used to feel that way, and I think that now I have found people who really love me and accept me and see me, um, and that when you are. When you know yourself well enough to show up and be like, hey, this is me. Don't try and tell me anything different because I'm not going to hear it. People, people respect that, you know, and, and people give heed to, to how you show up. I think that if you, if you don't, if, you're, if you question who you are, people are much more quick to try and label it for you. I feel like I've
0: always struggled with that, especially in my own community, because Arab women are perceived as specific way in our mm-hmm. own community. And like we have a specific level of participation we're almost quote unquote allowed with. Mm-hmm. And like the oppression that exists just in the female community alone among the female community as well. I mean like I also grew up with like old old like arabs versus like a lot of what the newer generations experiencing. So it's like I I always have this imposter syndrome and I always have this sense of like I'm only being tolerated in their space versus being actually accepted for who who I am because I'm so far left field. Going back to what you were saying about like I'm not I'm not Arab enough for Arabs and I'm not American enough for Americans and I'm not even perceived by a lot of people as an entity. I'm a constant ambiguous thing that exists that is mislabeled mispronounced by name. Like it's just a constant thing, so it's like. Uh,
1: That's really true. I, I think I've I've desensitized myself to a lot of that like otherism mm. feeling um, because in personality I feel like I'm like very similar to you, you know, mm. like, and I think you know we're easy to pick out in a room where we you know we're we're loud and we're here and I guess. At a certain point, I think it became a coping mechanism for me to not expect to be accepted and to instead embrace being one of a kind. That's kind of just, like, how I see myself now. Like, I do have community, and, you know, I have people that I align myself with, but I do see, see myself as one of a kind, like... I think you know everyone is individual, and so to find that you know you're you don't see anyone who reminds you exactly of yourself, like you can feel proud of that too. Not just let it make you feel othered.
0: This has felt like a therapy episode.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, damn! Too preachy, but
0: no, I love I love when like episodes actually get emotional versus it just is like spouting stuff
1: well you know i i so part of me like you know is a person who i'm not cynical i'm definitely not cynical i speak loudly about things that upset me but i'm such a grateful like happy person believe it or not because and this is something that i've even heard my parents say about me like as a child, I struggled so hard. Like no one thought I would live this long, we all thought that I would have, you know, not to, you know, trigger warning for mental health stuff, but like, we all thought that I would have ended my life by now because I, I tried a lot, you know, in my late teen years and I, I hit rock bottom and I felt hopeless and I, I struggled so badly with mental illness and, and not feeling like I would ever be loved, um, for who I was. And, I don't know if like what came first, other people loving me or me learning to love myself. But at this point, like I I feel that I'm so precious for having survived it all, Um, for not only having survived it all, but have created having created a life of meaning that brings other people joy and, you know, that connects and like. I really know my life is worth something, you know, I I see the way I am able to touch and be touched by others. Um, I see the way, you know, important life altering events are always, are always happening in Mm. my life and, and around me. And like, I accepted at one point that, you know, to be special is probably really difficult. And so that's just the two sides of this, this coin that I'm experiencing. So, you know, I'm, I'm grateful. I'll, I'll, t- I'll like talk myself up any way I need to to just give myself the strength to to keep living my life and to not let anybody take any moment of the feeling of possibility from me. That's you know kind of kind of why I, I poeticize like my you know my motivation for just continuing on romanticize your life a little.
0: I have said this with every east coast slash new york guest well, Look, i'm from new jersey well bitch you still on the east yeah, coast yeah, i know i know
1: and I, I read new york but i feel the need to just say i'm sorry i'm not, not trying to
0: join you in a whole conglomerate of a whole other type of people that's okay but i say this where i'm like literally all the people who i want in my daily life don't
1: live here Come to New York or New Jersey. Literally. We'll show you a great
0: time. I have been told this a few times.
1: Yes, definitely. Me and Maxie, at least, we'll take you out. That
0: would be the best night ever. Talk about loud people being loud unapologetically.
1: Fucking
0: crazy. It'd be wild. It would would be amazing.
1: It would be amazing. (sighs) You're just so great. Thank you. That's very nice of you. I want to be a person who other people have a positive experience knowing.
0: You just have a um, really good aura about you, too. Like, it's very warm, and it's very, like, it's just very much like, oh, well, we've just been friends for the last three years, and we're just catching up kind of vibe.
1: I'm, I'm very, I try to be very open. I can see and that. So yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad that it, I hope it has the effect where other people feel that they can also tap into that that around me
0: yeah i could see that 100 percent.
1: yeah i i just you know there's a time for for hyacinth with the sharp edges and and i don't like that time to be often to be honest yeah and then
0: when is your birthday we're talking about this whatever about the episode but when's your birthday
1: wendy what do you think my sign is (laughs) Uh, you give me
0: Pisces energy, or you give me, like, damn. Yeah. Cancer, maybe? You were,
1: I'm a Cancer, yes. I was going to say you were close with Pisces.
0: It's just full cancer. water energy.
1: Yes. I am the most Cancerian Cancer. I'm a Cancer Sun, I'm a Gemini Moon, and I'm a rising Leo. hmm I have a lot of Gemini in my chart, though. Oh, so fuck! mysterious How about you, world, like, guess cool. my sign? I feel like you're a fire sign. What gave that away? Are you, by any chance... Uh, well, I want to say Leo. Are you a Leo?
0: Everybody always guesses it wrong, which is funny.
1: No. Are you an Aries?
0: Yeah. Okay, I got a lot of exactly. Aries in my chart, too.
1: I get along well
0: with, with Arieses. What I is Aries. Maxi's? I didn't ask theirs.
1: Maxi is a Leo.
0: That fucking checks.
1: I think Maxie's a, a July Leo, if I remember correctly. Mm. But I could be wrong. I think, like, end like end of July is Maxie's birthday. Yes, I think that. But I... I Maxie, I'm so sorry if that's wrong. <laughs> but I know that she's a Leo, for, for a fact. Yeah. She might be August 5th.
0: Two different types of Leos there.
1: Yeah, definitely. But also, everything else... I think everything else in your chart is just so much more important than what side of your okay. So do you? So on.
0: so my my sun signs and Aries, You ready for this shit? You ready for this shit? Yes, I'm ready.
1: I'm ready.
0: My moon's says Scorpio.
1: Okay. And then my rising is a Taurus. Okay. So the Taurus I'm a is lot. Great in there, I think. I think the Taurus is really great in there because you can have it. Uh, yeah
0: yeah because it's this constant rbf that i carry and this constant lack of fashion sense and the constant amount of times where i'm just so like if i'm not comfortable going you're not gonna catch me
1: there well that's so fair why waste your time on others but also Tauruses have natural leadership abilities um which i think is a good way to channel the uh unabashed principles nature of aries um but self-principled but still principles and just the general bossiness, maybe, that Scorpios uh, tend to have about them.
0: Yeah, I'm emotionally intense.
1: That's totally... I, I respect that caliber of person more than any U.S. Marine. You I'm can take it.
0: This amount of aggressive um, feeling of feelings is so exhausting. Oh, <laughs> like, no. I'm exhausted. Yeah, and
1: it, it's... God gives us... Toughest Wh- battles.
0: What's your Mercury?
1: Um, also a Cancer.
0: No wonder you're yes. so good with words.
1: Um, my Well, I hear that's a Gemini moon thing as well. But I also, my Mars and my Venus are in Gemini. So Here's the thing. There's a
0: difference between being good with your words emotionally and intellectually. I think you're an intellectual. I think you are very eloquent with ways of how you're expressing yourself. But there's a sense of like... Meaning and emotional aspect that comes a lot from that water placement.
1: Oh, I love that! Thank you. Yeah, I want to. I want to be um, more emotionally verbose than I am just needlessly <laughs> intellectually <laughs> verbose.
0: <laughs> well, you got to hone when that was- skill in and focus on it.
1: Y- for sure, because when I was in first grade, I had a teacher who actually used to get mad at how much I would raise my hand and want to speak in class. Like, Oh, yeah, you're the... Brought, yeah,
0: no, I'd be like, yeah, who like, keeps asking questions? In. Let's, like, have the Literally, class over. Get,
1: come on, let's get it going. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I think she felt like I was uh, uh, just, like, vying for attention.
0: That's funny. Yeah. I Yeah have a lot of Aries placements, so, like, Aries Sun, Aries Mercury, and Aries Mars. So, like, I'm just a wow. fucking dragon.
1: I love that. I really do love that. That reminds me, um, did you ever watch the Jackie Chan cartoon?
0: Yeah! Remember, we're that the reminds- same age.
1: Oh, yes. Very fair. That reminds me specifically of uh, that dragon. Fuck. Yes. Yay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's the, what Aries energy gives me.
0: I have that's, that's been told I give snake, serpent, rattlesnake energy, which I fuck that's hard. very in. similar. I, I think, love that. Yeah.
1: Just love it. Snake energy is uh, snakes. So when I think of like animals that like I kind of identify with, snakes is definitely one of them. And then like squids, like giant squids.
0: Squids, squids yeah. for you for yeah.
1: I have a yep. big tattoo on my back of like octopus tentacles. There so. you go. Yeah. There the thing you about go. Like, the eldritchness of, of those Creatures like really calls out to me
0: I always wanted a praying mantis Tattoo I felt like that That's really, really cool. embodied My energy too
1: I could <laughs> say the same to be honest
0: <laughs> Also it's Don't really funny I get it. um, My partner has also An Aries stellium with me So they are an Aries wow. sun an Aries moon And a rising cap
1: how do y'all do it? <laughs> uh, Well. So much intensity. Well. I, I mean. I guess you just are both gluttons for the punishment.
0: Honestly, it's not as chaotic um, as I feel like everyone points it out to be because that rising cap really like hones shit in and they also have mm. a Mars and Virgo and they, mm. they have a Taurus Mercury. So they okay. still have like throughout their chart, like good balance of earth energy, they just don't have any water energy. So the person that's the explosive volcano doesn't have a competition and she just like goes on these rampades of hurricanes and then there's this person that's just a rock that doesn't move. It's great.
1: Well, good. I think everybody needs their rock for sure. I don't have any earth signs in me, in my chart, I don't think. Rip. Yeah, Yeah. for real, yes. The emotional regulation is not there. It's a lot of, there's just just my Cancer. That's really the only, like the Sun and the Mercury. That's the only water sign most of it is. is your
0: air. Venus in Gemini too? Yes. Same. Boo. Gemini Intellectual. Benises? Simulation. Yes. Intellectual. Wittiness. Yes. Banter. Sarcasm. All of it. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Riz. All the Riz.
0: We do got that though.
1: That's like my favorite new slang term that I have heard young people use. Don't be old please
0: don't be old. old don't be old come on
1: it's I it's the way
0: you said riz and i was like cool we're on the same page and you're like yeah it's like all the new slang and i'm like you just outed yourself
1: i'm not i'm not but, ashamed. i'm not scared to out myself i will be honest and say that riz i had not heard anybody say that before like two months ago i feel like and then all of a sudden yeah, like you're everywhere. living
0: under a rock
1: i don't have tiktok so i am living same though a rock yeah, you know i can't i I personally would take way too much time out of my day.
0: But I'm actually surrounded by a lot of, like, younger people now. So it's like...
1: I feel like same. But I actually really love it. They're a whole different breed. Yeah. So you're also right on the cusp of, like, millennial and Gen Z.
0: Watching the transformation. I find myself having a lot more millennial qualities than Gen Z. I
1: agree. I agree. but
0: But watching these Gen Z kids... It's crazy.
1: Yes. I love it personally. I have a love hate be- relationship with it. Well, sure. Sure. I mean, everybody always, you know, there's always that generation shaking their fist into the sky at the youngins and, and everyone will grow to fulfill that prophecy. But I love to see Gen Z like just so easily get away with shit that like we would have never so done so weird for. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, exactly. That I felt so alien for mm-hmm. in my childhood or never would have thought like I would be cool to do. And I, I love that for them.
0: They've definitely changed a lot of what the status quo is, which is like great because it it basically like I think what we lacked in a lot of um, our generation growing up was this like destruction of toxic masculinity mm-hmm. um, versus like that's that's kind of like being broken apart and like almost like shunned at this point for the younger generation. So there's I this agree. like embodiment of emotional space that's open and free to explore through creative outlets through verbal outlets for yes and it's just great to see because we weren't basically allowing ourselves to kind of have that element so we kind of just we're all i think it's like the best way to describe gen z and our generation that in between is the fact that we were like gen z is direct direct they go for yes. what they want. They are not going to settle for what they don't want. And then they're going to create versus us. We were nonverbal the entire generation. Like I heard, yes. like I feel like we just always knew what was going on. And we spoke in these these nuances where it was like, let me leave this little nugget. And then they pick it up and they leave their little nugget. And then there's just like yeah. maybe that nugget will kind of like meet. And then we'll, then we'll talk about it for like five or ten minutes. Or we'll talk about it for two hours. And then that's it. Versus like these are activists and like a lot of these protests that are coming about that they've started like I would have never seen myself ever having the balls to do which is where these like love hate things come or i'm like yeah. they have such a a fierce like passion to to see justice yeah. and um i mean on the flip side there's a lot of other things but like
1: there's other things as well but i do generally share that sentiment yeah. by and large about gen z especially um i mean i definitely feel like we walked so they could run and we were, like, searching for uh, people with like-minded interests on, like, Tumblr so that they could have just, like, their regular old community. Man. I mean, yeah, if you think about it. I'm happy to do that for them.
0: I was going to say, if you think about it, too, like, Gen Z, for the most part, are around our age group of their parents. Mm -hmm. Like, they're kind of, like, mini, like, millennials there who are their Mm -hmm. parents that are kind of trying to reinforce the things that we didn't get. So it makes very sense.
1: True. I'm obsessed with um, soft parenting. Soft that parenting
0: is, is an interesting...
1: Yes. Um, I don't know if you've seen, like, this trend. It's basically just not using negative reinforcement with your children um, and not yelling at them. And, like, being, oh, like, very thoroughly communicative, very thoroughly, like, making bringing awareness to feelings, you know? just. Yeah. Um, I'm obsessed with seeing, like, parents on Instagram and, like, you know, like, finding, like, tic- like getting... Somehow TikTok vids will still come to me, even though I don't actually... Yeah, because t-
0: Instagram's basically TikTok.
1: Yes, everything is basically TikTok now. But seeing, like parents just completely, like, empathize, reason with, and give space to their small child's large emotions, Mm -hmm. because that is just something that would have so, like, changed me. Yeah. If I had experienced that as a child, like, the idea, and, I mean, my parents and I, we've been through a very, very long journey. I was actually just talking about this with my nail tech earlier, but my, my (laughs) both of my parents, did so much work on themselves, like, my dad particularly, which I, like, I know is the dream for, like, most people, but, like, I can genuinely say that, like, my dad completely, you know, became the man in my adulthood, of course, so, you know, I had to parent myself in the meantime, but, became the man who I needed him to be when I was a kid. And I
0: really, damn, me and you are – good. Ugh, God, I really relate to this, but on the mother spectrum, like
1: – Okay. So I was yeah, just like, like me and my mother had a renaissance of our own as well, you know, more so on, like, my behalf of being able to understand her rather than my father's behalf of being able to communicate it and also, like, let go of, of a lot of his, like, authoritarian uh, – like, for Latino machismo yeah. bullshit – um but yeah like my parents now like they get that and we talk about all the time like how how people should just like give their kids just love you know and like safety and like especially i found that in like especially like brown communities and brown cultures like why are we so afraid of quote-unquote spoiling our children how do you spoil a child
0: i will say um, I'm not also backing up the way that I was treated as a child, but I will say for trust, trying to humanize the villain that we grew up with in our brains. Like the only thing that made sense to me was my parents gave the love that they received. Right. So it was just like, if that was their way and that, and every other person's families around them was the way they received love, that looked like normal to them. And especially cause yeah. we come from different backgrounds, different generational times, what we have accessibility to, Um, their, their idea of family might have never changed from when they left their home country versus when they actually started having children. And then I think that that, even if they were exposed to different cultures, didn't still change their values because if their cultural values is still the same back home, it makes sense to why they'd still treat their children, especially if they're being displaced from their original country. They want to still instill like those ethics, morals and principles. Now it's not always healthy. It can be chaotic and create really bad dissonance in terms of relationship building, especially when you're raised after that biculturally American and whatever your national heritage is. Um, But like, that's how I've been able to kind of come to peace with the way that I was raised is that I was only given the love that my mom was given. And then when my mom wasn't around, I got it from my grandparents. And like, that's older than even my mom, you know, like, we're talking like 1930s. And then my mom was 1970s, like totally different times. So it's like, I have this really interesting perspective that, just created a whole fucking problem when I tried to build a relationship with my mom. Like, my dad wasn't in the picture, so that's whatever. But um, the way that that kind of got healed was when we were completely apart and just not speaking. And then when we reconvened, it was over a traumatic experience, and then she started going to therapy, and that if anybody... Helps. That's
1: really the key. Bro, if
0: anybody who's listening is a brown person, your, your brown parent or whatever going to therapy is like them finding God.
1: I agree. So it was just like, completely agree.
0: That whole experience kind of shaped why we have a relationship. Because at one point I was totally like coming to terms and content with the idea of just not having a relationship. But
1: same with me and my father as well.
0: And then the last two years have developed such extremely fast levels of intimacy and bonding as a mother and daughter that it's like, I'm very grateful for it because it it created this relationship that I never thought I could have. And that was the parent that I needed when I was younger. And it was a hard thing for me to come to terms with this like sense of resentment and the guilt towards like my inner child, not having been able to receive what I'm receiving as an adult. Yeah. But um, it almost comes full circle with like this extremely well-developed, well-rounded mindset now. It's like yes, a, I
1: agree. It's like because you learn to give yourself that.
0: Yeah, and then you also you get to heal certain like things once you're allowing yourself to accept it. By the way, because that was a whole process is learning to accept that. Um, but once you're able to allow yourself to accept that kind of like familial love, that like mother or father love, that's that sort of like was so unobtainable at a time breaks down so many aspects of trauma that apply to so many different things because your family are huge representations of your relationship building skills with yourself and with other people.
1: I completely agree. And I think for a lot of us who have had estrangements with like family members, mm-hmm. that becomes such a part of our identity that we're almost not willing to let it go. And
0: then trauma bonding, right? Yeah. Once we're and here talking about trauma bonding, it, it creates almost another sense of like this, otherism this like identity of like we're just from families that didn't have that like warm soft parenting that yeah that you almost like kind of didn't want to be friends with those kids like right. and that, personally for me that's how i took it
1: i agree i i definitely as a sort of coping mechanism like learned to look down on that because yeah. i i thought it was Same. something i could never have for myself so I convinced myself I didn't need it. Right. And then once I did have the opportunity to start healing relationships with my parents, my dad definitely the most actively, it was something that, you know, I couldn't bring myself to fully commit to because I couldn't let go of my pride yeah. of, you know, who I was and also the mm-hmm. grudge of, of what he did to me. Yeah. You know, of what I felt was done to me. Um and it requires being a, a big a bigger person to be like yeah. That is not a part of me and I can let it go. It's like because you don't have then you don't have to be that anymore. Right. Then you don't have to be that broken child from a broken home who doesn't like have like mommy or daddy's love right. anymore, essentially. You don't you can let that go.
0: Right. I think it's really interesting when you're able to kind of like come to peace with it yourself and let that idea go. It almost feels like you're being a parent to them. Like that's yeah, how I
1: and to yourself for
0: sure. Yeah, there's like it's almost like this other it's so hard to describe that feeling cuz when I kind of like relinquished this idea that like this father figure that I wanted in my life is just never going to happen and then when it when it came to a terms of like this is an old man who can barely operate anymore. Like I just need to let that go because he's mm-hmm. never going to be the bigger person to come to me and, and apologize for what he's done to me. Okay. Versus like, I know a lot of my sisters have a hard time healing their relationship with our dad. And it's like, I have found so much peace though, with just relinquishing that, like just like surrendering into the fact that, that I can, I can never have what I have built with my mom, with my dad, you know, but I will say (sighs) another tangent, we're going off topic. Um, let's, let's wrap this up because I could just sit and talk to you forever, but, um, I I would love to do that too.
1: (laughs) I could go on for you're really just bringing it
0: out of me. Oh, my God. I'm just, like, really bringing it out of you. Um, But so on the show, we also have this little segment where it's called Hot Take. So you have the opportunity now to kind of, like, have – we did talk a lot about controversy and a lot of controversial things. But, Mm -hmm. um, like, do you have, through all of your experience, exposure and everything, a hot take that can be controversial, be direct, and just be upfront, honest, and real? That you want yes. to just like air off that you're like, finally, so I have this platform. Let's go.
1: Yes. Um, if you have enjoyed any labor rights, if you have enjoyed any organizing rights, if you have enjoyed any um, community advocacy rights, if you have benefited from any of that, you should thank, acknowledge, and respect publicly and loudly sex workers. Um that's my hot take is, is don't forget about the sex workers. And here's why. I love how you're just like, wait, you're like, go on. My thing is like, I was mostly
0: pointing that towards the coffee industry and you went completely left field.
1: Yeah. So, so I was
0: I like, wanted, interesting.
1: There was a point in time in which I wanted to talk about sex workers on the U.S. to Champ stage. Really? Yeah, because so many of us in this world have had to resort to sex work to survive at some point. Yeah. And a lot of people who are in the service industry that applies to, and sex workers also like we're, we're here amongst your communities. Like I have a sex work background, um, and I'm not ashamed, you know, and it's part of one of the reasons why I am so familiar with community organizing and advocacy because no one keeps their community safe. Like a high, and. No one keeps their community safe, like such a highly policed community, such as sex workers, where the only rights that we have and the only like protections that we have and the only sort of validation, like, you know, strippers having unions and, you know, the um, like the red umbrella organization and things of that nature, um, are because we did that for ourselves. And because, you know, such a highly policed, highly ostracized, highly, uh, sort of hidden community has done so much that has, has helped the labor movement has helped mutual aid has Mm -hmm. set examples for how to really create like community advocacy that I just find it so Mm -hmm. fucked up that the, that people, you know, erase us to such a high degree. I have met so many baristas who have done sex work, dabbled in sex work who, you know, like, Ever, almost everyone knows an, and or loves a sex worker like mm-hmm. there's just so much stigma and so much invisibility yeah and i feel like for the sort of workers focused labor movement um you know like frontline worker yeah ideology that the coffee industry loves to tout like give some love and respect to sex workers
0: fuck that's a good one i didn't one was very ignorant i just learned something today
1: yeah you you should definitely look into uh like sex worker advo- advocacy and organization because al- some of the only laws that are like out there to protect sex workers are created because of lobbying by like sex workers
0: damn that was a good one
1: fuck i'm glad i think that i i've thought that i would maybe be the only person to be like hey but sex workers like on the podcast so had to had to definitely um shout out my roots
0: you have in this whole amount of time taken me on many different (laughs) ideas of your life story like that's fucking crazy
1: you were such an
0: interesting person
1: if we had all the time in the world, I would have so much more to even share with you.
0: Okay, so the next time, if you're going to stop through fucking Columbus, you know this yeah, bitch lives well, here now.
1: Let's meet up and get a coffee.
0: I don't know if these are coffee <laughs> stories. These seem like more like, let's chill and get a drink. But you said you were sober, so coffee makes I, sense.
1: Yes, I, I am sober. I was like, I can't say that. But I love hanging out um, in a bar and getting a Shirley Temple. That's one of my fave sober activities. I love me at Shirley Temple. I do smoke weed, though. So if you ever want to share a That's like the one thing that I don't do.
0: I'm like an old That's lady. Okay.
1: That's okay. It's not for everybody.
0: It gives me panic attacks.
1: I have so much um, generational Jewish. Another thing that I also have said to my nail tech today, but <laughs> I have so much inherited neurotic Jewish anxiety that I need to smoke weed. Or else I would be unbearable. Um, My mom is like a much more unfiltered version of it. And it's funny because my partners are like, oh, you're just like your mom, but just a little more spunky and a little more easygoing and a little more stoned. So without the weed, I would be God. God only knows how high strung. Well, fuck.
0: God damn it. I hate that you live so far away.
1: Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure that coffee will take me to the Midwest sooner rather than later.
0: And hopefully you don't stay for too long.
1: <laughs> well, I actually like, I really like Michigan. I have a really good friend who lives in Grand Rapids. Yeah. And I, I've been out to visit them a few times over the years. And I, I just think it's so beautiful. And there's good coffee in Michigan, too. There's, like, some, pardon me, some really good coffee in Michigan. Um, but I just think that a lot of the middle of the country is so beautiful that, like, White like, people can't just have it, you know what I mean? So, like, I'll, I'll be out there. <laughs> oh
0: my god! At some point, I need to make a trip out to the East Coast again.
1: Please do. We'll show you a great time.
0: I have been told that too many times.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it, it would be it would be memorable for sure. Y'all ain't ready I for me start- out there. I'll tell you what, though. Talk about we're, loud! Me and Maxie are on the same energy. I love that. I'm a little more, like I'm very content to let Maxi just be the sh- be the show, like take it over. Like yeah. I'm, I'm happy to be here and witness. You know what I mean? And then like ad lib, like give a little ad lib where you know, like wherever it's best, it best fits. But I love that I'm, so much. Yeah, like I'm just like some little you know backup backup singer. Um, but I'm, I'm happy to witness that sort of chaos. I I, I thrive in it, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I think it's because it it could possibly enable you into also being like that, too.
1: Absolutely, it can, yeah.
0: Well, we've been chatting for a really long time, and I have loved every fucking minute of it. You are such a lovable person, and I love your energy. I love all the things we talked about. I really do want to hang out with you one day. Like, all of the people I fucking have met on the East Coast, I just want to sit and be like, let's all just, like, chill and get some food. Like, it would be such a good
1: time. I'm calling now that this this will come to fruition.
0: I really hope so. But I will bid you adieu. I know that we've been chatting for a while, and it's 8 o'clock now on EST time, so.
1: Sure is.
0: Don't be a stranger. You can Absolutely always hit not. me up.
1: Yes. I, I will be. I also enjoy this conversation a lot. I wasn't, like, sure what to, like, expect. expect. We didn't know anything about each other, really. So I'm, No, this I, has been
0: the go with the flow show for the last couple episodes.
1: <laughs> it's been nice. No, it's definitely been good.
0: Alrighty. Yes. Well, you have a great night. Um you too. I will probably Thank reach out to you soon just to yeah. chit-chat.
1: Yeah. Let's shoot the shit. Yeah. And, if you know, if you ever need anyone to talk to, I know... T- just shit is unruly yeah. now. I'm always here. My inbox is always open, and
0: yeah, I'm- same. All right. Okay. Well, I'll talk to you soon. You have a good night. You too. Ciao. Bye. Bye. This episode just takes you on so many different wavelengths. Where we talk about politics, we talk about identity, we talk about being children of immigrants living in america and then also about being a barista and just trying to grow in that industry and fighting against these uncomfortable like um uneasy like working situations and then trying to find your your voice and making more of a voice for a community that i did not even know existed like i didn't know much about i mean it it checks out why it's an invisible part of the industry it's because who's going to march around half the time and say i'm a sex worker So it's just like amazing that they came on the show and they were so fucking vulnerable and very open about their emotional space and what they're feeling and what they've experienced. And it, it makes me very happy to hear that there are people like them that are creating spaces for other people to feel comfortable in emotional spaces and comfortable with coming forward and saying this stuff because obviously they need to build their community in the way they need to.